Bostonians believed England would smite Massachusetts before God did. From the very beginning, or at least since the 1650s, when it had begun ignoring and defying the Navigation Acts, the colony had been a thorn in the paw of the mother country, frequently uncooperative and sometimes unruly and defiant. But now three years of unprecedented bickering and fighting had brought the governor and the people of Massachusetts into an attitude of obstinate antagonism to one another. The dispute was approaching a flashpoint. Soon, many feared, England would cancel the new Massachusetts Charter, granted in 1691, depriving the colony of any vestige of self-governance and instituting martial law in its place. A little over a month after the appearance of the Northern Lights, another glow appeared on the horizon. This time it was anything but ethereal. The Boston Harbor Lighthouse was on fire. The blaze had been ignited by hot oil dripping from one of the lamps at the summit of the fifty-plus-foot structure. While the people watched helplessly, the fire consumed the lighthouse interior. It might have been worse. No one had been killed or hurt, and the fire had burned itself out before compromising the structural integrity of the exterior. Thanks to a determined effort by the town, Boston Light was repaired and back in operation by late the following month. Still, the temptation to interpret the conflagration as something more than an accident was powerful. The question was whether it was the punishment foretold by the lights in the sky, a manifestation, perhaps, of God's anger over the rampant and sinful materialism and lust for luxury imports that the town's burgeoning ocean trade had fostered, or a more emphatic and dramatic omen, either of the collapse of Boston's teetering trade-based economy, or of some other and even more terrible conflagration still to come. On October 28, 1720, a merchant brigantine commanded by a 38-year-old Bostonian named John Gore entered the outer reaches of Boston Harbor and made its way to the Nantasket Roads, the southern of two deep-water channels that served as nautical highways into and out of the harbor. Gore's ship passed Little Brewster Island, whose lighthouse had been gutted by fire eight months earlier, and continued inward, gliding past George's Island and Rainsford Island, and then rounding the southern tip of the knife-shaped Long Island before bending to the north. This amounted to the clubhouse turn for returning vessels. Just ahead, the Nantasket Roads joined up with the southward-bending President Roads to begin the final two-mile stretch to the harbor wharves. Gore was just over four miles from completing his nearly two-month, 3,280-mile voyage from England when he veered off course, tacking sharply north in the direction of a 49-acre island whose odd configuration consisted of two low, rounded hills connected by a thin spit of land. From the vantage point of passing ships, the island looked like a pair of pince-nez laid flat on the surface of the water. Indeed, passing Spectacle Island was all that most ships ever did— Clear-cut for firewood during the early years of the town, the ungainly island had sat deserted for decades. Then, in 1717, the Massachusetts Assembly had designated it as the site for a public quarantine hospital. The resulting facility, bare bones in every respect and lacking in medical personnel, was better described by its informal name, the Pest House. It was a repository for persons suffering from contagious and deadly distempers, especially smallpox, measles, yellow fever, and, should it ever make the jump from Europe, the plague. In February 1718, the General Court, the name for the Massachusetts legislature, had passed a law requiring ships carrying infectious diseases to anchor near Spectacle Island and to transfer infected persons to the pest house until they died or recovered completely.
The water bailiff had authority to order a diseased merchant ship to quarantine there, but inspections were cursory, more concerned with contraband than disease. More often than not, it fell to the captain to self-quarantine. The unpopularity of that decision with shipowners, who paid captains to complete their voyages with all deliberate speed, and with healthy crew members and passengers who, having spent weeks or months at sea, had no appetite for being stopped short within sight of their final destination, made it a challenge for even the most ethical captains. Differentiating between a relatively harmless disease and a deadly one complicated the issue. So did determining whether a contagion that had surfaced early in a long voyage had burned itself out by the time the ship had reached Boston Harbor weeks or months later. That had been John Gore's dilemma. A few days out of Bridgerton, he had discovered a case of smallpox aboard his ship. Soon a second case emerged, followed rapidly by a third and a fourth. By the time Gore's brig had passed...